Welcome to another episode of Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Rev. Eric Mason. This is a special two-part series devoted to the question, Is Jesus God or was he just a great man? In the last episode, you and I looked at the biblical evidence that supports the Christian claim that Lord Jesus is the Son of God. Therefore, he is God, not just a great man. The evidence we went over in the last episode clearly indicated that Lord Jesus was considered the Son of God by angels, demons, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus himself, and Lord Jesus' closest disciples. I hope you're starting to get a feel for how I'm structuring our conversations around these subjects. Each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones. If you're joining us for the first time, I actually recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before starting this one. If you like this podcast, feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcasting site. And as always, if you have specific questions about what you heard on the show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a point I made, you can submit questions by visiting our page at www.anchor.fm forward slash Muslims want to know. I think you can even ask questions using your microphone or camera, and I can play those questions in future episodes. So, building off our last episode, Is Jesus God or Just a Great Man? If it's true that Lord Jesus is the Son of God, we must now turn to the next logical question, which is, how can God become a human? It's a great question, one asked by many of my Muslim friends. After all, if God became human, would that not mean he was no longer God? Wouldn't a perfectly holy God destroy the unholy shell of a human body? It seems like we always have to answer a host of other questions before we can fully answer the main question, and this episode is no different than the others. So before we look at the how, we must first answer the why. As a comic collector, I find myself around a lot of people who know an awful lot about superheroes. If you were to ask any of them to define the nature and origin of their favorite superhero, you'd be amazed that someone could rattle off over an hour's worth of information about a fictional being. But if you and I were to ask them to define the nature and origin of humanity, they wouldn't be able to do it. At best, you might get a shrug of the shoulders or maybe a quick answer about evolution. See, it's a shame we know so much about fictional beings and know so little about our human origin and nature. According to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, at the pinnacle of creation, the triune God says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now what does it mean to be human? Well, according to the Bible, to be human means to be created in the image of the triune God. 
Now, let's not make the mistake of thinking that God stands upright or has arms and legs. That's not what being made in the image of God means. To be made in the image of God means that we were uniquely created with the capability to freely express love toward God, toward each other, and toward creation. Adam and Eve were the first man and woman. In addition to being created in the image of God, they also existed in a pristine condition and lived in a perfectly ordered world. They were not like angels, who are immortal spirits without bodies. No, Adam and Eve were also not like animals either, which have bodies but not an immortal soul. Adam and Eve had immortal bodies and souls, and were designed to be stewards of and ambassadors to God's creation. This is why King David writes in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3-7, through 7, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. So in their pristine condition, Adam and Eve were beings created with immortal bodies and souls, designed to receive love from God and image that love back to Him in worship. They were designed for community with the triune God and with each other. They were designed to be perfect stewards over God's creation. But something happened to that pristine condition. The Bible tells us God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. God then breathed life into Adam. After this, God created the first woman from the rib of Adam and breathed life into her. Her name was Eve. Adam and Eve were then placed in the Garden of Eden, where they would steward creation. God then told them they could eat from any tree in the garden, with one exception. God told Adam and Eve, they were not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, God specifically warned them, saying, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Satan, also known as the serpent, the deceiver, and the accuser, then came to Eve and asked her, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Eve responded by saying, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God told us we must not eat it or touch it or we will die. Satan responded by saying, No, 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 you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. The account recorded in the book of Genesis says that Eve then took the fruit and shared it with Adam. Eating the fruit was in direct disobedience to God's command. Because they disobeyed the command of God, sin entered into our world. Along with sin, death entered the world just as God said it would. Christians refer to this event as the fall. Because of their sin, a disruption occurred in humanity's design and purpose. The world became disordered. Sin and death 
now entered our world. And you and I are allowed to ask the question, but why? How? See, love is always a free act between the lover and the beloved. Although Adam and Eve were designed to receive love from God and image that love back to him, they were not under compulsion to do so. Otherwise, they would not have had the free will to love God. Adam and Eve freely chose to eat the forbidden fruit. Some say because they wanted to become like God. But myself and others believe it's because they really believed that by eating the fruit, they could somehow become greater than God. It was pride that caused their downfall. And the very moment they sinned, the love that was meant to be expressed outward toward God, toward each other, and toward creation, turned inward instead. The love that should have compelled Adam and Eve to will the good of the other suddenly compelled them to will the good of themselves. Adam and Eve's pristine condition was now corrupted. Although their souls remained immortal, their bodies would experience death. As such, the curse of sin and death would pass to each and every one of their offspring. You and I inherit that same corruption. This should be no surprise to either of us. After all, you and I can tangibly see the fruit of that corruption in the events of our world today. Here's an experiment. Look at your news feed right now. Three, two, one. How long did it take you to see how our world has been affected by the fall of Adam? Pandemics, disease, wars, rumors of wars, famines, sexual perversion, natural disasters, economic catastrophes, and the list goes on and on and on. And we might think, well, all Adam had to do were some good deeds to be brought back into his pristine condition, right? Actually, St. Thomas Aquinas says of the fall, even if Adam were to recover grace through penance, he could not return to his pristine innocence. The Bible actually tells us that God is the one who was moved to an act of love and mercy. Genesis 3 says that God used skins from some of the animals to clothe Adam and Eve. And Bible scholars have long understood this act as the moment when God instituted the blood of animals as a means for the atonement and pardoning of sins. Although Adam was unable to return to his pristine innocence, the Bible gives an indication that one day such a return will happen. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God cursed Satan, saying, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And there it is the first indication as to why the Son of God had to become man. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we learn that Satan would be crushed by the male offspring of the woman. This meant that Satan's work, which brought sin and death into the world, would be undone by a future male offspring. But the act of forgiving sins is a grace only given by God, not by men and not by angels. 
Therefore, this male offspring spoken of would somehow have to be both God, but be born of a woman. But wait, how can all of this be? Well, you see, the triune God is omniscient, which means that he's all-knowing. This is one of his eternal qualities. Therefore, he knew Adam and Eve's sin would lead to the corruption of humanity. The triune God is also perfectly just and righteous. This means he always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right and true. If blood was required to remove the stain of sin from the world, well, to forgive without such a sacrifice would have been unjust. Also, many sins required an infinite amount of grace which only God can grant. Now, the triune God is also loving. Therefore, in an act of unstoppable, immeasurable love, a grace had to be extended to humanity. But God could not grant such a grace while at the same time contradicting his perfect righteousness. So where does this leave us? Well, before creation, the triune God knew that mankind would be corrupted through the sin of Adam. God the Son, in a free act of love for God the Father and the gift of creation, chose to remove sin from humanity by entering our space and time by becoming human. And now you can say it, but how can God become a man? The answer lies in the unique design of human beings. Humans were created with both a body and a soul. We were also created in God's image. And just to recap, like the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Humans were designed to receive love from God, to image that love back to Him, and to express that love outward toward each other and creation. God designed us in a particular way that would actually allow Him to become one of us. And I can already hear my friend's objections to this. Okay, wait, hold up, Eric. You're saying that God, who is a perfect being, became a human. But becoming a creature is something he could never do. I believe we have to be very careful when we start making claims about what God can and cannot do. There are some things we know God cannot do. and These are based on his eternal qualities and nature. For instance, God cannot swear by a name other than his own because no greater name exists. God cannot lie, for lying would violate his quality of being perfectly good, just, and righteous. But the Bible's clear that God the Son, the second person of the triune God, became a man. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 7 reads like this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and verse 14 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men.
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Please know I understand your objections. I know that quoting a couple Bible verses doesn't always help us understand something as complicated as this. But in light of what you and I learned in the last podcast, I hope what's beginning to happen is that uh, you're, you're starting to hear that a case is being built for the deity of Lord Jesus. Now, a lot of strange ideas about how the Son of God became a man have been shared throughout the years. So let's get a few things straight here. In Greek and Roman mythology, whenever a demigod is born, it's almost always through a sexual relationship between a god and a human. The resulting offspring were often beings who were half-human, half-god. But this is not the case with Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus was not born as the result of a sexual relation between God and the Virgin Mary. Luke chapter 1, verses 30-35 through 35. Then the angel Gabriel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to his son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Hopefully this passage makes something clear. The Son of God did not become a human as a result of God having a sexual relationship with Mary. The angel Gabriel explains that Lord Jesus will be born through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. God the Son took on flesh as a result of God the Holy Spirit breathing life into Mary's embryo. The result of this life-giving power is the union of God and man. So we should ask ourselves, why couldn't God have just waited for Mary to get pregnant naturally, then inhabited the body of her son? Or why couldn't God simply take dust from the earth and breathe life into it like he did with Adam? then he could have just inhabited that body. These are fascinating questions. The first issue with these questions has to do with mankind's inherited sin. This is what we call original sin. The corruption of original sin came from Adam and has been passed on to each generation. Because Lord Jesus did not have a human father through procreation, the Son of God could actually take on full humanity without inheriting original sin from Adam. But if Lord Jesus merely inhabited a human body, or had one created from dust, he wouldn't have fully entered into our experience. In order to redeem humanity, Lord Jesus had to enter fully into it, not just operate a human shell. The Son of God became man through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. This resulted in the Son of God experiencing humanity. Now, Christians believe that Lord Jesus is now and forever both fully God and fully man. 
he is one person with dual natures. This dual nature of Lord Jesus is what we call the hypostatic union. Fun fact. A being's hypostasis was its substance or person. The term was used by Stoic philosophers before the time of Lord Jesus. In the 4th and 5th centuries, theologians began applying the term to the dual nature of Christ, the combination of divine and human natures in the single person of Lord Jesus is called the hypostatic union. So, how can God become man? Well, let's consider everything we've said thus far. The triune God created all things by a free act of love. Because God is all-knowing, he knew mankind would freely choose to sin, thus marring mankind's pristine nature. Because God is all-loving, he knew the only way to restore and glorify that nature by conquering sin and death would be to become man himself. This meant man had to be uniquely created for communion with God. Because of this unique design, God the Son could become fully man while at the same time eternally existing as the Son of God. So I hope this podcast helped answer the questions you have about how God could become a human I'm not sure if you caught it, but I alluded to certain Christian teachings today, but for the sake of time, I purposefully left them out of this episode, and hopefully you'll understand why. You see, to, to satisfy the justice of God, a blood sacrifice which held infinite grace was required to atone for sins. Lord Jesus entered into the full human experience so as to rid the world of sin and death. Therefore, Lord Jesus both lived and died as a man, yet was fully God at the same time. And that brings us to our question for the next podcast. How can God die? I encourage you to study the resources I use to gather information for this week's podcast. The Bible translation I use is the Christian Standard Bible. The books I read in preparation for this podcast were The Incarnation by St. Athanasius, The Shorter Summa by St. Thomas Aquinas, The Incarnation of God by John Clark and Marcus Johnson, and The Trinitarian Theology of St. Thomas Aquinas by Gilles Emery. I also visited various articles and resources on wikipedia.com and desiringgod.org. And that sound means it's about time to wrap up. If you like this podcast, feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcasting site. And as always, if you have a specific question about what you heard on this show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a point I made, you can submit questions by visiting our page at www.anchor.fm forward slash Muslims want to know. I think you can even ask questions using your microphone or camera, and I can play those questions in future episodes. I will do my best to answer those questions in future podcasts. I also encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend or coworker and ask them about things you hear on this podcast. If you hear something about Islam you didn't know before, research it or ask your Muslim friends or imam about it. As always, I thank you so much for your time today and God bless.